John Constantine, a Hellblazer podcast. Hey there, everybody, and welcome back to Hellcast. Everybody's favorite podcast about Hellblazer. Uh, <laughs> as usual, I got my co-host Hoku with me. Say hi. Hey, everybody. Yeah, and uh, today we're going through Hellblazer issues 50 through 58, which was the next chunk uh, before some of the, the big storylines that come through issue 60. So, um, I don't know. These, these issues, I think, are like the strongest parts uh or like the, the really strong uh intro to garth ennis stuff because um this is where he really gets his stride i think i, I don't know what do you think of this like kind of chunk overall i thought that it was a bit of a departure from what we've read before it, it had a definitely a darker more visceral tone to it oh yeah like like <laughs> Not that it hasn't been dark and creepy and crazy before, but there was something about this one that just felt different. I, I don't know. I can't really explain it. But yeah, it, it, it definitely felt like it was going in a different direction, darker tone. I think maybe it was his descriptions just felt a lot grosser. Oh, yeah. I guess. <laughs> well, it's a lot more violent and graphic for sure. There's a lot more like viscera and <laughs> gore in this uh this little chunk so um but yeah like and, and also like it starts off with a very i would say confusing issue which is like hellblazer number 50 and it's just it's an anniversary issue which is like oh it's that just means like oh it's you know number 50 that's a a nice round number to celebrate that we got like a half half of a hundred and uh, so, you know, generally comic book companies will put out some kind of double size issue for that. And this was uh, no different. And so we got a nice fat issue about John meeting the king of the vampires. Now, I know that you are a big fan of vampires. So <laughs> what what did that, you that think of this? What did, what did you think of this uh, this little issue here? Yeah, I... I liked his take on the vampire. I liked his take on him being the first vampire ever and not necessarily just Dracula. Because mm -hmm. that's a totally way he could have gone. But I think his his origin story, his history that was told in those snippets in contrast to John's story really rounded out the character in as short a time, you know, that he had to sort of introduce this character, kind of telling his entire history in these snippets. That was really intriguing. I'd never seen that before. Mm -hmm. So I, I really liked that. And the fact that e even with all of that information, he still doesn't explain how he came to be. You know, like he's just, and he was there. At yeah, the he just was. Just such a creepy thought because normally there's there's some sort of way that the vampire was created. I mean, you've got Anne Rice's version. You've got... Uh, Twilight. Twilight version, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Technically, that counts. And, you know, whatever. But this one is just sort of like he's there and he just starts killing. And then he just loves killing. And when everybody else is dead, he'll be there 
continue killing somehow. So yeah, yeah, that, one, that was pretty cool. One of my favorite panels of this or pages of this is when it, he's telling John that like we'll be here forever, and then there's like the the cut to them at the end of the world, like when the sun is going to explode or expand and uh, overcome the earth. And there's just like a really yellow sunset and the and like the king of the vampires is just staring at it. I loved that idea about like, oh, um, they're there he's gonna like the maybe even the sun is I don't know if he's standing in front of the sun, but the the sun is there and he can't I guess because he's a vampire, he can't look at the sun, but the um he's talking about like the end of the world. So I'm like, oh that's fucking cool. Um I don't know, the concept of that was fun. Um yeah, and then I also like the he's trying to tempt John the whole time, like, oh, you should you should be a vampire like me. And like and then he's like eating brain like licking the blood off the guy's skull or whatever. And like uh John is not brought in by that idea, I guess. And um I mean, th- why wouldn't you want to like entice someone by saying, Hey, you know what? Brains, yeah. fluid, blood. Ah. Isn't this the greatest thing ever? You just Yeah, just get on in here, John. Who doesn't want to join us in this awesome deliciousness? Yeah. <laughs> and then like also they're just kind of like standing and talking. There's no this, this is an interesting issue because you would think it's the king or the lord of the vampires. There's gonna be a confrontation. But it's just them sitting and talking, and offer is made. And I love John's response to like him, where he's just like, "Yeah, no, because I can check out the sunset in the morning, and I can smell the roses and all this stuff." Like I, I, I liked his response to the offer to make him a vampire. Um, but yeah, like it is an interesting issue because there is no like conflict really. I do wonder, though, like, this isn't just a one-off character, right? He's, like, they put him there for a purpose. I don't want to spoil anything, but... Oh, okay, I'm we'll, we'll say We'll say he definitely comes back, but I don't want to say more than that. Okay, well, I'm glad, because, I mean, to put this much effort into a character like this, this explain his history, this kind of back-and-forth, like, verbal fighting between him and John, and then John just kind of be like, well, you know, I'm going to fuck off, like, you do you. Probably never see you again. I was like, will he see him again? Or is this like, <laughs> this <laughs> was is this just like a, a, a 50th anniversary? Here's the King of the Vampires. Yeah. Then- this is Chekhov smoking <laughs> vampire is what this is. <laughs> it's like you introduce a gun in a scene and then at the beginning of a movie and then by the end, you know, it has to be you somehow. So this is that like, like he introduces a vampire into the lore of this run and some point at some point later on he does come back so um but i'm I'm not gonna say how or why or any of that stuff but um okay i will accept that <laughs> actually it's so funny because since this was just sort of like a one-off by the time we get we move on i actually had to forget about that whole thing and then just when you had mentioned i was like oh yeah that's right the vampire guy that was a big deal and then i completely forgot it when we moved on to uh more political <laughs> yes things. yes yeah um i will say like it's a big jump from issue 50 to 51 because 50 is like the big oversized issue we have some high concepts about you know uh philosophies of life and whatnot like you know a vampire's life versus john's life and that kind of thing and then we cut to issue 51 which is a regular size issue that is written by a guest writer john smith 
and who I've never, I don't remember anything I've ever written by him. Also, he has the most generic name. So I almost thought maybe this is like a pseudonym or whatever, or like, yeah, I was wondering that too. Is that really is like, is there really a John Smith or is that like somebody else wanted to write something, but didn't want to put their name on it. So they're just like, Hey, can I use that John Smith? Model yeah. yeah. It's like Alan Smithy for movies. I don't know if you know, know about that. Oh no! What's that? Oh, that's a name that directors who are not proud of their movie can use, so they like bow out basically of the movie before it comes out. Oh my god! So there's a a great idea. (laughs) Yeah, there's a couple movies. If you look up Alan Smithy on IMDb, I want to say like the fourth Hellraiser is one of them, or at least one of the Hellraisers is for sure. Um, Oh no shit! And then there's a (laughs) couple. There's a. There's definitely. Usually it's like bad horror movies or something, but um oh okay but yeah alan smithy if you ever see that as a directing credit that is someone who did not want their name used (laughs) i'm gonna keep my eye out now and i'll probably laugh when i see that yeah (laughs) so that just made me laugh because it's kind of like john smith alan smithy it's similar but um but i don't know i mean i think at this time this guy i want to say maybe he wrote a swamp thing one off as well it's hard to remember but uh but yeah like if he did write anything more i don't really know him from anything but this issue is the issue this this issue is important only because i mean it's just a it's a basic story of like uh weird you know stuff that hellblazer gets into but um it's it's really important to the lore of john because it's the issue that introduces the idea that john is bisexual and uh they don't really as far as I know, they don't really go into it too much later on uh, in this volume one series, which is like issues one to 300. I want to say it's it's brought, it's definitely brought up later on, like in the uh, New 52 and other versions or other volumes of John Constantine Hellblazer um, that like are from the last 10 to 15 years. And obviously that's why, like they, they, they were like... Um, wanting to have more diversity back then. And so they're like, okay, well, John is bisexual because it said it in this one issue. And I feel like, um, a lot of lore (laughs) definitely gets, uh, gets overwritten if people don't care or use it. So the fact that once they started actually using it in this character, now it's lore. I never thought of it as lore until all of a sudden they're like, no, it is. (laughs) So I'm like, okay, cool. Like this is the, the issue the official issue where they first mentioned that john has had a boyfriend or two um and that's that's pretty much it it's kind of like an offhand comment did you even notice it when you read this i did not i didn't catch that at all until you mentioned it and uh i mean that's probably a good thing because if it it's it's not like you put up a giant billboard saying by the way yeah john's bisexual right if you didn't know so i kind of like that it's just sort of an offhand comment because I mean, that's the best way to do it. It's a part of him, but it's not like defining him. It's right. just something yeah. about who he is. It'd be the same as just like, oh, by the way, his trench coat is, you know. Yeah, th- this is the story of how he got his trench coat or something, you know? Like, yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, so I think that was cool. That's fine. And I'm glad then that they didn't just write over that. They can use that later on and express him, let him express himself a bit more in the future if that's the way it goes. I I don't know. I haven't gotten that far. But, yeah. Um, yeah, I have seen things where yeah, it I, seems to go a little bit further than just bisexuality because he's like, like I know in one of the cartoons, him and King Shark have a relationship, at least in one episode. And I'm like, that seems 
different than bisexuality. <laughs> it's like him fucking oh. a god or something. So uh that's a bit closer to some like Jack Harkness Doctor Who stuff there. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that yeah, it's just like inner species, inner god, because I think, you know, if we're going by King Shark mythology that I know, he is a demigod or something. So um but yeah like like a sharky hercules right exactly yeah <laughs> yeah exactly shark hercules um but evil but bad i guess so um but yeah this is the the issue that brings that up for the first time and that's why it's notable i mean honestly any everybody else says like when did that even like come about like no one even knows really when it happened but the fact that it came out in this one issue is very interesting. And like I said, I don't think anybody really used it until the mid 2010s. So, um, or the beginning of 2010. So, um, it's kind of like, a, uh, it was there for the picking. If someone wanted to use it, no one wrote it out, which is nice. Um, but no one really used it until later on. So, uh, one thing I will say is, uh, Sean Phillips is back for this issue. And, you know, he was mostly known in the Jamie Delano run during like the dead boys heart issues. Um, towards the end after the family man stuff so it was nice to see his art again um, in this I will say this was definitely confusing a little bit this issue because it's just John sitting in a laundromat and look as his clothes were covered with blood and stuff and then there's it's just like a bunch of dead people in there but he doesn't know that they're dead and I don't even know if they know that they're dead and in fact I'm not even sure if they are dead but <laughs> the way that he wrote it is very kind of like uh, you're not sure about where anybody stands at any time ex until John leaves. And he's like, this place is cursed. So something's up with it, but we don't know exactly what. But did you did you get confused at all by it? I kind of want to know if he got his sheets or not. <laughs> he just he left him there to get washed. He just like, he said, fuck it. And he's just like, well, peace out. I guess I have to get new sheets or something. So I'm kind of wondering if his sheets are now part of that liminal space, just forever they are. being washed. See, that's something that the, that no one people. ever kept going. <laughs> no one, no one ever came back to talk about what happened to his sheets. You know, <laughs> that would be funny to come up some sometime later. Imagine if like someone showed up on his doorstep like ten yeah. years later. You oh, forgot hey, your you sheets. These sheets in the laundromat. Yeah, <laughs> remember us. Yeah, we were waiting for a friend. It's yeah, three old ladies. We, yeah. We'd like your sheets. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> they tracked yeah. him down. Because they're, they're nice. Yeah. Maybe they'll also try to eat him, too. I don't know. Whatever Who knows? It is they're doing. Eating uh, people, partying in their dead age. I don't, I don't really know. I, like I, like you said, it was a bit of a confusing issue because there's no real concrete, like, by the way, this is what is happening. It's kind of like, maybe this is happening. Maybe this is happening. Who knows? Yeah, who knows? Yeah, Nothing is explained. Yeah, but also I like that. I like that in a certain way. It just it leaves it like we don't know what was happening, and neither do you. But it was weird, wasn't it? It's kind of like an ep issue or an episode of the X Files or something where they leave it like we don't know, but <laughs> something's out there. We don't know what happened though. So, um, yeah, I liked that. Yeah, though. I guess that's pretty cool. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I guess. Sometimes I like a more direct story, but I suppose every once in a while, as long as it's not the the main point of the story, which is you don't know what's going on, as long as it's like, you know, these little, little bits that are a bit more open-ended, I don't mind that too much because I, I got to say, personally, I like a, a fairly solid, here's what's happening, here's what's going on, 
and this is how it ends. So yeah. as long as they don't try to trick me too often with these sort of like, and then you don't know what happened <laughs> and you don't know what was really going on. Are they dead? What was up with the dog? Like, and you know, the mom with the baby and yeah, they don't mention any knows. of that stuff. Right. Like <laughs> it might as well have just been the old lady sitting. Yeah. Yeah. Cause like he doesn't really interact with anybody else except for like a quick chat with the, the, the mom and the baby. And yeah, it was, it was, it was just weird. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I, I like sometimes that, like Hellblazer is definitely a title where you can have those weird issues and just, it, and especially if it's by a one-off author, it's not in the middle of, it's not part of Garth Ennis's run technically. So it's like, okay, uh, this guy had an idea. It was a fun story. I was like, what? And then we get back to the main story. So I liked that. I like that aspect of it. But um, speaking of the main story, we, we get one of the coolest, one of my favorite uh, runs in this or arcs in this run which is the Royal blood storyline. And man, this one really, I, I like this one a lot because it takes on not only just like John dealing with magic and all that stuff, but it's his first run in with the Royal family. Um, and like how I love how disdainful he is to them. And not only that, but I like how Garth Ennis, I don't know what it's like over there in England. Um, how like, putting out or making fun of or being very critical of royalty. What is that? I don't know what that, if that offends people or whatever, but uh, he pulls no punches in this. I mean, he literally makes Prince William like a demon possessed cannibal. And is it Prince William? Whatever the one, what's the one that's King. Now that's the one who is possessed in this. Charles, it's Charles. There you go. So Charles is the possessed uh guy in this and he's literally eating people because he's possessed by a demon because at one of the crazy clubs uh like sex clubs that they go to they did some kind of ritual and he got possessed so it's like holy shit like that'd be like if you made the president of the united states a cannibal in a, in a comic and except it but like it, but that comic was coming out in britain so like it might not have the same effect you know what i mean like uh, what do you think of it? Yeah, I can see what you're saying. Um, well, I do know that, like, I visited England, and uh, there seems to be kind of two thoughts, which is don't criticize the royalty, and who cares, criticize the royalty as much as you want. So it seems like they're very divided as far as, yes, totally, anything you can do, fuck them. And the other one's like, oh, my God, no, don't you dare say anything bad like they're, they're royalty. So I'm sure the ones who uh, love the royal family, if they happen to read this, would be absolutely horrified. <laughs> and the ones who don't would be like, hell, yes, this is the most amazing thing ever. So you've definitely got those two. And he's Irish, Ennis? I think so. Might be Scottish. I'm not 100%. He's either Irish or Scottish. I don't believe he's English, so. Okay, but yeah, so so he's coming from that side of the world, and so he probably has a very specific thought, and that's probably the reason why he wrote this. Yes, <laughs> so I can see that. I would assume that um, he's kind of of the side of like, you know, I don't really care. This is what I think about the world. I would assume that too, just from reading the first page of this run, uh, or of, the, of this arc, where 
we see Charles like yellow eyed trying to, you know, dip his hands into someone's torso and pull out guts to eat. Like it literally, there are blood sucking leeches is what these fucking royalty are is what he's saying. It's like a, an analogy for how he really thinks about him. But I mean, there's one thing about criticizing, right? But like he goes, he doesn't pull any punches. Everybody here has blood on their hands, so to speak. Um, even the people like their, their handlers, right? Like Marston in this, he is the guy that hides all the secrets and he knows about all everything they've ever done. And John has to work with him just so that, and, and like, I love that it's too good. Like Marston's like, Hey, I need your help. And he's like, fuck off. And then he's like, but it's, it's the Royal family. And John's like, Oh really? Oh uh, yeah, I'll help you. Let's see if we can fuck these guys over. Like, I fucking love that. He, per he perks up when he hears like, Oh, it's the Royal family and they fucked up. Okay. Let's, uh, let's see about that. So, uh, did you, did you, what'd you think about John's reaction to, uh, to hearing that? I thought it was funny because it was sort of like, we just like, I don't care. Nothing you say could possibly make me want to help you. And he's like, but, and he's like, Oh, intriguing. <laughs> you know, I think I'll, I think I'll take a look here. I, I might be able to do something to quote unquote help out. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, and, uh, one thing about this, this arc is the, uh, the demon Calabraxis is the one who, who, uh, possesses Prince Charles and I don't know if you, I, I was trying to explain it the best I could, the way that he looks. Uh, did you get a good visual image of him? Could you, could you picture it in your head? How creepy he was? I think he's probably one of the most unique demon creatures that has come up so far. Uh, the bone spikes was like, I mean, I was definitely feeling some kind of like Wolverine on steroids kind of feeling. Right. Yeah. The whole idea of like, just these spikes coming out or, no, not him. There's a different one that does bone spikes. I forget. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I thought he was really cool. Although I will say uh, there were some times when I thought maybe he was he was looked more like a dog or something. I don't know. I think the that one cover where the demon's face is coming through the flag. For some reason, oh, at yeah. first glance, I thought it was a dog skull. Until I, you know, until, until I took a better look. I could I see like, that. Oh, okay, no, that's just a really creepy like demony skull yeah so for for some reason for a little while at least i kept picturing him, him as sort of like like a, a werewolfy sort of like humanoid creature but I, I mean i guess either way it's just yeah he was really creepy and uh especially that when he's like crouched on the prince's brain yes or, yeah uh that scene of just the way he's he's visualize i mean i don't know if they mean it to be like physically that's where he is in the body no or if that's yeah. just sort of like a mental interpretation of how he is possessing but that is like probably one of the creepiest ways i've ever seen possession like represented yeah i i love that too it's just that's one thing i like about comics is they could do little things like that where they just cut to the like the feeling of what it's like to be possessed or you know what i mean and and you get it while you're reading it uh, just from the image like oh like obviously he's probably not actually like a little thing latched onto his brain but it's like this is what he's doing to him it might as well be this uh or maybe his spirit or something right he's controlling um and speaking of that they they talk about how this isn't the first time calabraxis uh has been to earth the last time was during jack the ripper's reign and in fact he was jack the ripper or the man he's the demon that possessed jack the ripper uh what do you think of that reveal 
I, I mean, okay, so a lot of people have tried to tackle Jack the Ripper as far as like who he was. I mean, there's From Hell, there's so many other movies and books that have tried to be like, I know who he is and I know what he's done. So to first off say, hey, the demon was, you know, Jack the Ripper. It's like, okay, so we're getting into a Jack the Ripper story. We get it. Like, All okay. right. Yeah, I've been there, done that. But I still appreciate that he did put a different spin on it. I'd never heard of the thought of, like, that guy who was, I guess, the past fixer for uh-huh. the crown, the royalty. Him being the one who was actually Jack the Ripper, which I was like, oh, you know, that's a cool that's a cool idea. And not only that, because they were always saying stuff like, oh, maybe he was a surgeon because of the cuts and stuff. It's like, no, he was this demon who wanted to just like fuck people up. So right. <laughs> the idea of just like wiping that all away and just being like, no, there was no like human ingenuity. There was no like, oh, I'm so good at doing this. Um, there was just demon going on a killing spree and and just, you know, going crazy, which I thought was a cool twist to a story that could have just been, oh, it's just another version of this story so yeah i like that he put his own sort of original twist on it so at first when i was like he's jack the ripper the demon i was not so sure but in the end i was like you know what that's actually a pretty cool idea i like that it has some sort of a history of being on earth and then coming back again so yeah that was pretty cool yeah i like the way that they handled it um i think if you're i mean it does it does lend itself to that to this like storyline like it's in britain it's another slasher thing you know so like it makes sense that that would be connected you know so i think they did a good job at like tying it all together like you said kind of leaving out the stuff that's already been done before and trying to switch it up um but uh one thing i that was a lot different in this specific arc was the gore and i know we touched on that on like it really started with the king of the vampires issue but this this arc with royal blood has some very very graphic imagery of blood and guts and everything spinal cords all that stuff uh what do you think of it's like it's like the it's the beginning of this kind of heightened violence and uh what what'd you what was your initial reaction to that uh, I do have a question since yeah. um, I, I can only really hear it for the visuals is the blood like red or is it more of that sort of comic? It's black blood. So it is red get away with it. It was red. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, then yeah, that sounds like horrifying and uh, definitely something you probably couldn't get away with today. <laughs> yeah. Which sounds weird, but yeah, it's uh, I guess, you know, it would be in a black label DC comic, which is the new vertigo whatever they they rebranded it so it would be uh allowed in those so at the time i don't know if right i don't think right now i'm trying to remember if this was actually a vertigo title or not i don't think so because if you look at the covers they all say dc on them they don't say vertigo yet so this was a mainstream dc book that could have been on the shelves next to x-men or something <laughs> and uh that is amazing yeah and a kid could have picked this up and been photo, like holy shit like, for, was this the 90s this was like this early 90s, out in the 90s. Yeah, early, early 90s. 90s i would wish i had like a, a, a photograph of it on the stands next to like superman and batman <laughs> and x-men and then just hellblazer especially the one um you know the co- uh, the cover with the, the demon's face coming through oh, the yes. that would have been just beautiful like <laughs> 
to have a shot of can you imagine together like hey, there's a whole dc lineup and <laughs> yes oh that's hilarious yeah, yeah. this was definitely a, a whole new level of of description of gore of uh just just the different parts especially of the you know prince eating people was was i love to read horror so to see it in comic form is i think a, a very different feeling right <laughs> than just a book where it is all in your head although in this case it is still in my head because you're describing it but <laughs> to know that there are accompanying pictures to it which someday i would love to get my hands on maybe some trades or some issues yeah. just to see them for myself well that's why but, i give you guys a little bit of the what the, what it looks yeah, like yeah you give us you a know, taste art. yeah <laughs> so that way yeah, you can kind of see it but um it's art and i'm sure you can't show certain parts of it because <laughs> probably wouldn't um <laughs> yeah mostly <laughs> i don't care <laughs> unless there's like straight up hardcore nudity or something i try to leave those panels off but the violence i'm kind of like yeah whatever like youtube will <laughs> do whatever they do i don't care so um yeah and then also another thing that happens in this arc is the introduction introduction of john's friend nigel who you know it's like ennis is slowly expanding john's friend group again because as we know in the delano run all of his friends were dead he didn't have much and then he got like marge and um mercury and stuff and then they all left so now he's got to kind of build up the cast again so what'd you think of Nigel as a character? I thought he was fun. I like that. <laughs> well, even though he seemed very unsure of wanting to help John, but whether he knows about his past uh, ways that friends have helped him before or not, I do like that he has a sense that like helping John can either be a really bad thing or just a kind of bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So I do appreciate that he is not just someone who's just like, oh, of course, John, you need help, I'll help you. He's just like, uh, no about this. And then John's like, oh, by the way, it involves the Royals. He's like, okay, I'm in. Which is kind of the same feeling that John had of just like, I don't know if I want to do this. Oh, wait, it's the Royals. Yeah, okay, I'm in. Yeah. <laughs> seems to be the best way to motivate someone who, and he is a bit more of a, is he more of like sort of like a liberal character? In that he is a straight up like, communist, He can bring this down. Oh, okay, that's right. Yeah. He's like an anarcho-communist is what I, th I think he is break down the you know the system and and start over from scratch sort of character right yeah yeah and and <laughs> one th one thing i like about that their relationship is it's like an older brother little brother almost like john will tease him and make fun of him and play pranks on him even later on and kind of nigel has to take it but then like he's always there to help if needed with john so i always I always like their kind of back and forth uh, throughout this this whole volume or this whole arc uh, or this whole um, run of Garth Ennis's. Um, but yeah, like that's pretty much like, you know, the the beginning of this craziness uh, of the violence escalation is this royal blood, uh, royal blood arc. And then we get a one a one shot issue called The Diary of Danny Drake. Um, where I believe it's, e it's either the introduction or it's just a more fleshing out of the demon Triskelly through this character, Danny Drake, that John just happens to run into on the subway. Um, and, uh, I don't know. What do you think about this issue? Cause it is just a one shot story and comics is fun because it is kind of like you can do a long 
you know, drawn out storyline like Royal Blood. And you can also do a one shot, one and done. Wham, bam. Thank you, ma'am. You know, good, solid story. So what do you, you think of this one? I do like when they have the one shots because you know at least that there's a, a complete beginning, middle, and end in the whole issue. Mm-hmm. I'd say this story was was cool. Uh, not one of my favorites or anything. I, I didn't really care for the character of Danny. <laughs> I don't think you should. Danny, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I Danny. know. <laughs> but, um, but his story, like his whole his story and his uh, plight, I guess you could say, was not super, like he's just telling his secrets to the world whenever he feels like compelled to do so because of the demon. So right. I was like, Oh, that's, that's sort of a weird thing. That's an awful thing. But coming down from, I guess everything that just happened with the royalty, it felt to me like sort of a, a, a B level thing. Although when you find out that, you know, the whole, the whole thing with uh, the infants, that was like yes. a bit of a shock. That is my favorite thing about this issue is yeah. the, the slow reveal. Like you as the reader come to the realization of what's happening with Danny and why the same time John does. Like you can't figure it out before he does. And I like that it was paced like that. It was really good writing as far as um, not being able to guess the outcome beforehand. Uh and obviously with like mysteries and stuff, that's, that's what like, uh, when you, when you go to the movies and you see a movie and you see like a mystery movie or like a murder thing and within five minutes you're like, they did it. And then like, you're just waiting for the movie to end so that it proves you right. Hopefully like I feel a lot of comics or authors of comics can do that where they just telegraph, you know, because of, I guess, I guess maybe because of tropes or whatever, they just telegraph who or what's going on or who the killer is and stuff. And the fact that they, he doesn't do that, do it so well and kind of hides what's going on until John figures it out. Then you do too. It's like, Oh, okay. Like I get it now. Um, what'd you think of it? I mean, that was how I felt. Did you, did you think the mystery was hidden? Did you, uh, pick up on it beforehand? I I had no idea what was going on uh, at all. So yeah, they hit it really well. Maybe even too well because <laughs> I yeah I didn't figure anything out until they revealed anything. But they didn't exactly give any sort of like clues, right? Or 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 even a red herring as to where this was going. So it was That's definitely true. a straight line. I mean, there, there's like no deviations of just like you don't know what's happening, what's going on with this character. Here's here's where we're going. And then, boom, reveal. He's he's an absolute creep. So, as a story, I was like, it's okay. I mean, I liked the reveal and the ending because, yes, screw that guy. He should go to hell. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, overall, the story itself, it, it, was, it was weird, but not necessarily like I was, like, at the end, you know, feeling like, oh, this is a really great way to just sort of, like, cap that royalty story. For me, it was more of like a, all right. Yeah, what's no, next? That was all right. Yeah, yeah, I get that. Although I do love seeing John with a baby. <laughs> That's always an interesting image. Like, what is, what is John doing Aww. with a baby? I don't trust John with babies. Not that he would do <laughs> something on purpose, but there's a lot of bad things that happen around John. So, And uh, you're kind of like, please put that baby down as soon as possible. Exactly. Right you. Put that baby back where you found it, sir. That's what, not, not in this case, but, you know, just in general, if you see him walking. Uh <laughs> And then uh, we get the last two issues, which are a little mini kind of arc, um, which 
kind of come out of nowhere for me. Like, uh, they're all about John and Chaz as friends and characters, um, and like their relationship. And it's interesting because Chaz has been with John, I believe since issue one, uh, of Hellblazer. And they never really talk about their relationship at all. It's just Chaz is there. He drives John places and, you know, and whenever he drives John, he says, Oh, you know, you, you did this to me. I can't believe this fucking happened last time. You son of a bitch, you owe me. And then John might, you know, do something else that makes Chaz be like, Oh nah, he's my mate, my bad or whatever. Like there, there might be a back and forth, but they never really go into, um, they never really spend time with each other in issues. And this is a two arc issue where they spend all two issues together. So what did you think about that? I thought it was nice to see a little bit more of Chaz uh, since he has sort of just been off and on there and then not there for long periods of time. And then, you know, it's only when John needs something, a ride, a bit of money or like, hey, you just call this weird old guy to this one place, uh, you know, in Family Man or whatever. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. and, you know, just kind of uses him when he needs him, but otherwise he's just out of the picture. So it, it was really nice to see a little bit more of their relationship. Um, it was kind of uh, refreshing. This is, yeah, so, so the last story with the dude and the diary and everything was kind of a weird in-between, but this was sort of like almost a breath of fresh air after the royalty story because it was in a completely different direction. I mean, it does get weird, but it didn't start out like that. It started out as more of uh, two guys just kind of, you know, one consoling the other because of, you know, his his uncle dying. And so I liked that sort of way that that started and um, just their relationship in general having a bit more meat to it. Yeah. Well, the, the first thing I notice about this issue is the cover of the first one, uh, Mortal Clay where I was like, what the fuck is going on? Cause it's like a dead body in a chair and there's a target behind it. But when you first look at it, you don't know what you're looking at. Like, cause you didn't read the issue yet. So <laughs> you're just kind of like, what is going on? Like that dude. Yeah. I thought really it was going to be a, a weird version of John. Cause so far they've all had John like featured heavily in the heavily in, in the, the cover. That's true. Yeah. So I was like, is this, is this John? Are we going into some weird thing with, with John dying or being beaten up really badly? <laughs> yeah, really badly. Shaved? For, for, just the, for just a split second, I thought maybe that was supposed to represent John in some fashion. I got you. Yeah, and it's so, hard to tell because his yeah. face is so beaten up. You're like, maybe it's John. Yeah, so that was intriguing for sure. But then, you know, it goes on to be about the, the uncle. So, yeah. Oh, okay. I like so how this one flows too because it starts off with like um uh, i believe it starts off with the testing right so it's all like a nice like day and the doctor's walking down the hall and it's oh we begin our test today isn't that fun or what you know like, it's very like uh nonchalant and chipper like everything's just fine and then you find out what they're testing on and it's dead bodies getting shot by ammunition and it's kind of like don't we know what happens to bodies when they get shot by ammunition like why, why are we testing this but just the i always thought the doctor was so creepy especially the page that i included uh, on this one where it's it's the doctor just smiling to himself as a body's getting shot up and 
I don't know. It zooms in on his face, and he's just got this weird, creepy smile, and it always stuck with me. I always, I always thought this was a creepy little little arc. Um, but yeah, like yeah, he. Oh, sorry. Go. Oh well, I was just gonna add to that that they really try to, I think by zooming in and and focusing on his face so much, they really try to show just how horrible of a person he is and yeah. get you like really up close to be like, hey, you know this guy. Yeah. He's, he's an awful human being get get real close to him because i want you to see just how awful of a person he is yeah <laughs> so yeah I, it definitely creeps you out but i also liked that they put so much focus on just how horrible of a person he is how much enjoyment he gets from these tests that he keeps doing and and just ugh, just gives you the creeps which yeah. is always great <laughs> yeah for sure and like the uh as the story goes and like John and, and Chaz find out that this test facility has stolen his uncle's body uh, and they go to the test facility to get it. Uh, the whole, like once they find out what's happening, like, Oh my God, like even John and Chaz are horrified by this. Chaz would be, I would think because you know, it's his uncle and everything, but John who's seen a lot more than Chaz is still like, Oh Jesus. And then uh, I love the, the concept that, and it's kind of out there. I will say like this one definitely reaches for it, but the concept of like all these bodies, they haven't been able to be laid to rest because their bodies have been stolen. They're being shot up and then like just thrown away in a pit or somewhere. We don't even know where they discard it really after they're done being used. And so like their souls are stuck in limbo at the gates of heaven or hell, I guess. Um, and it's kind of like, uh, I don't, I don't know. They don't really mention Limbo too much in Hellblazer. I'll say that. They do mention it a lot more in, in Swamp Thing. Um, they have lots of different Limbos in Swamp Thing, but this Hell, Hellblazer tends to be either Hell or Heaven <laughs> for the most part. So what do you think of that like that premise overall, Like, especially for this whole issue, is these these souls are you know being held back from wherever they're supposed to move on to, and John has to end up freeing them. Oh, there have been other times when souls have been kind of stuck on earth and unable to move on, which might be sort of a way that they're referring to the limbo, like the couple that uh, died or the the lady who died when her bar got burned down and she got. uh, That's true. But that way. But I will say that they were actually like stuck on earth. Like this is these guys were like at the gates of heaven waiting or like, you know, uh, on their way to heaven waiting. And there was. Uh, no one was on earth until John, you know, put that sigil on the wall and like sucked him back through the vortex out into this world. That's true. I, I suppose it, it, it didn't seem so far fetched just because there have been other instances where spirits haven't been able to move on. And yeah, why in the past they were stuck on earth. It, it did, didn't seem like too much of a stretch to me that there is sort of like a, an in-between like st- like place where you could get stuck, unable to move forward, unable to go back. So it, it didn't really surprise me that much. I, I thought it was yeah. a cool idea. I think the surprise really came from when John's like, hey, you know what? Since I can't technically release them to where they're supposed to go, let's just pull them back and let them do whatever the fuck they want. <laughs> let's so, have them run, run amok on these doctors. <laughs> yeah. So and then maybe they'll find peace that way. I did find it interesting that the ghost who or the spirit that was drawn to John exploded 
because to me i'm like i didn't think souls could do that i thought you go one place or the other but you don't necessarily just poof out of existence which is what it seemed to imply which is horrifying i think (laughs) Um, for you know for this world i you know the idea that they're you know most of them go one way or the other so the idea that that all of a sudden because of this particular circumstance you could just you know pop (laughs) that that was a bit horrifying of Mm -hmm. a a thought to put forward in this (laughs) yeah that that idea that they just blip out of existence i think they even do that while they're waiting in, in front of heaven like they don't just wait there like in Catholic limbo where you you're just stuck there and you can try to like maybe do good things or something to get to heaven later or something. But like in this, it's like, no, nah, you have like a time limit <laughs> and you can't do anything about it until your body's put to rest. So, yeah, like the clock's ticking. If they blow up your body, like, unfortunately, you're done. Although it did bring in an interesting thought. Um, just just the idea that like even. Like, so imagine like in our world when people say donate their bodies to science or, or whatever, and sometimes those bodies aren't used in, in the best of ways. Like they aren't necessarily used for science. They are blown up. Hey, what's science really? In, I mean, it's just a you know, kid like, with a firecracker, I guess, right? So, you know, yeah, the, like the same sort of thing kind of does still happen in, in our world. And the idea that this can happen if people misuse you know, the, the bodies of the deceased, it's a creepy thought for sure to think of. So I'm both grateful to them. And, and I also hate the fact they put that idea in my head. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, and also those people volunteered at least, uh, I believe, you know, like you say that on your license, you say, Oh yeah, I want to be a donate my body to science or something. That's true. Maybe that is a little different than being, uh, I guess, than just having your body, exhumed without your permission so. yeah so maybe there is like a slight slightly less chance that you'll simply explode because yeah uh, you donated your body to science i don't know yeah <laughs> but I, I really love the end of this issue where Chaz, you know and that's the other thing like guns aren't a you know something that comes up very often in hellblazer because it's britain and not many people have guns in britain only like bad bad people and police officers so uh, and I, not even regular police officers. I think it's uh, only like special ops or something. So um, Chaz is able to get his hands on a gun and he, as he's trying to get revenge for his uncle on uh, the, the main guy. He pulls the trigger and it clicks, but there's no ammo or something. So he decides to just beat the guy up. I, I liked that scene because there's so much tension, you know, and then it's just click that's not bang. And so... And, but then the greatest thing is the guy has his eyes, his hands stuck in his eye sockets because that's what the like soul of the person that came back did to him. So I liked that a lot. Um, <laughs> what, what did you think of the, uh, the reveal or I guess what, did, how did you feel for Chaz when like one of the big moments in this comic is when Chaz asks John, because he's supposed to know about this stuff. If, uh, his uncle is in a better place. And John's like, fuck, I don't know. And he just lies and says, yeah, mate, like he's better. And then turns out, no, he's not. His soul is in limbo and it's about to explode. And <laughs> these guys used his body for fucked up science experiments. So like Chaz finds out that, oh no, like hell, you're not just going to go to heaven or whatever. Like your, your uncle probably exploded or whatever. And Chaz is very angry about that with John. What, what did you think about that reveal? 
I thought that, I mean, in the same position, I probably would have said the same thing John does. Like, Taz wasn't really looking for, like, the truth. He was looking for comfort. So, John right. saying, oh, yeah, he's he's definitely in a better place. Was him just trying to be a good friend for once, I want to say? Yeah, <laughs> you know, but John. Decent person. Like, do you really think that at that moment, Chaz wanted to hear, you know what? Probably not. I don't think he wanted to hear like, that, but that I think he wanted to him? hear from like a professor. You know what I mean? Like, like if you went to your professor and asked them a question, you wanted a certain answer, but you know, and the guy lied to you, but it like mattered that he lied to you. So like, I think he was coming to John because John has an expertise in this situation and John lied because he's trying to do what you said, like, you know, console him and say like, yeah. And for the for the record, he probably thought he had moved on and been fine, but yeah, that's true too. So yeah, he's it's like, like John had no reason to believe that. Yeah, he's not necessarily lying. He's just going with what sounds like I would imagine the most like logical conclusion. Like, yeah, sure, he's moved on. He's gone somewhere else, probably nice. And yeah, you know, it's all good. It's fine. Like, how was he supposed to know? that his body was being stolen and used to be, you know, a dummy for testing right. bullets. Who would have guessed that? That's such a far-fetched yeah, idea. Like that's, <laughs> that, that's one of those things where when John's like, hey, do I seriously have no idea? Like, I mean, yes, like, obviously these souls are trapped. I mean, I mean, yes, I mean, your uncle's trapped, but but that that's not my fault. It's really not his fault yeah. that he happened to tell him uh, you know, uh, an abridged version of what was happening to his uncle when he really didn't. Yeah, I, I like Chaz being sort of like angry because he's like, well, to me, it seems like Chaz was angry because he's like, well, if, if something bad could have happened, you should have told me that maybe he wasn't actually going to make it to heaven or something. So yeah. I'm like lessen the blow of it later. But again, it was all what John could do at the moment. And then what happened later was completely out of his control. So, <laughs> yeah, well, that's, and that's, you know, it, it happens between friends, misunderstandings, of course. And I like the way that this ends this issue or this arc where John is just kind of waiting for Chaz outside after Chaz gets his little revenge on this doctor. And then they just, they, they cut it there. Like as Chaz is walking out, he sees John and that's about it. I mean, like, I, I think, he says like, Hey, and they both say like, Hey to each other. And that's about it. So <laughs> I enjoy that. That's kind of like, uh, I'll say, you know, it's kind of like a, a guy thing or whatever. Like we're not going to say what's actually on our minds, but we'll like, we'll let it go or whatever. We'll say, Hey, we'll let it go. No big deal. Water under the bridge. Now I'm still mad at you. Bury the hatchet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> For now. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I think that was like a pretty solid little arc to end. Um, especially after the Royal family stuff and a couple one shots of this, it was like a nice kind of friendly story. <laughs> I'll say it's, it's kind of weird saying that because people were bodies were being shot up and stuff and people were shoving their hands in their eyes, but um, yeah. And people, a lot of people died and a lot of souls <laughs> went kind of batshit crazy. But, yeah. But overall, yes, it did have sort of a happy. Ending. Yeah. Happy yeah. with John and Chess, you know? Yeah, <laughs> as they walk off into the sunset. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so overall, uh, I thought this was a pretty solid uh, eight issues. So what what did you think? I liked it. I mean, still better than Feeling Machine, right? <laughs> Feeling Machine, yes. Yes, it is. 
So, yeah, I thought it was great. I was impressed by the depths to which he was able to go uh, with the royal family. And I'm glad he at least protected himself by not naming names and just heavily alluding to certain real life <laughs> figures. Yes. Um, so, like, kudos to him for going that far, you know, not like literally going up to the edge of the cliff and having one foot out and being like, yeah, I'm, I'm good right there, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, he didn't go over completely, but he also didn't pull back, like, that far either. So he led it up to, if you if you know who these people are, you know who they are. And if you don't, thankfully, you did some research to figure out who they were. But it wasn't like it was a complete mystery or, or like, spelled out, like, you know, completely either. So yes. I thought that that was a great line that he wrote for that storyline and its darkness and depravity. And I got to say, I, I kind of liked that demon, especially the way it ended with the demon, you know, taking his, you know, him just uh, Marsters, right? Yeah, Marston. Yeah. Marston waking up and being like, where am I? Who am I? And it's slowly being revealed. Oh, yeah. By the way, he, he took your soul to hell after you ate yourself. And and now since he's the devil's <laughs> cook or something, <laughs> like, he serves up souls. <laughs> sure. For like everyone to feast on or something like like that is the imagery of that is just both ridiculous and horrifying so i thought that was a great ending to that as well just that sort of story <laughs> yeah yeah for sure for sure um any other things you wanted to touch on on it well um i know i ask this question every time but did you have a favorite cover i, I believe you mentioned one that you said is like your favorite overall almost. Okay. So honestly, okay. It's really hard to pick because every Royal family cover would instantly become my favorite. Like the four issues have very, very striking covers that are very um, interesting to look at. And I would, if I saw them on the stands, I would automatically pick them up. Um, but I will say my, the one that if I saw it, I'd be like, what the fuck is definitely the first art issue of the the two story arc mortal clay with that with that dead body on the front uh, i think that that's the kicker for sure and i mean glenn fabry does such good covers for all of these so it's hard to pick but that one stands out to me even in this high ranking set of covers how about you it does have a really great like 3d quality to it where you almost feel like if you touched it you could almost touch that Gross. the dead, dead gray body, skin so. yeah purple skin. yeah yeah i i def like the way he color the way it was colored and 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 just the the fleshy look of it was very disgusting and i, I do agree that is a great one but my favorite for sure is the the demon skull coming through the flag just yeah. because that to me was so striking and seeing you know john's face through most of these covers and then this just being like like this is the demon's issue is what it felt like to me oh yeah um, i can see that so, so to me, that one is the most striking as it's just, it's the odd one in the series of John covers. So That's uh, true. aside from the body, I didn't covers. think about it, but John is on most of the covers. <laughs> yeah. So like the his fact, face yeah. is just there. So, so they're all very cool, very well done. And that look of disgust he has on, I think almost all of the ones that are for the Royal family story is great. And it really gives you the sense that he's just, just not happy to be here in this situation. But I do love that one just because it is so striking and so creepy and really puts the, you know, Calyraxis like right at the forefront. And, and you know, you know that some, something's going to happen with that. That was the ending, I think. That was the yeah. last issue. Yeah, that was the last issue. So I, 
yeah so i loved that they sort of let him sort of have the the center stage of the last issue cover and just be like this demon like things are gonna happen and things are gonna go down now that they haven't fuck already shit done, up. yeah even more so this is gonna be like insane so i did love that yes i loved i, I will say the at the very end of that last issue of royal blood where marston I guess eats his or begins to eat his own ass as he was first possessed. Like right, right when he gets possessed by Calabraxis, he like there's a panel of him bending over and everybody's just like, what the fuck? And he's like putting his head between his legs. And I assume and there's just blood. So I'm assuming he's eating his own ass. <laughs> I took that to mean he was eating his own penis. It's probably all of the above. But yes. <laughs> Because that whole area is just being gnawed on. So. Maybe, yeah. Maybe yeah, he's, you know, he's got to go through the front to get to the back. Who knows? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, down the runway. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But, uh, yeah, yeah I, that, that, was, that was shocking. That was a very striking, striking yeah. image for sure. Yes. Um, yeah, but uh, I think I think that's all I got unless you had anything else. Well, actually, I did. Um, so now that we've gone through a few writers on the series now that we've got to the big 50 issue um i kind of wanted to see what people thought about who the best writer so far has been on hellblazer so i did just a little bit of searching just to kind of see what the if there was any sort of general consensus on who has the biggest mark had the best arc that sort of thing but i did come across an interesting comment on reddit unfortunately the poster's name was deleted so i can't give any credit but the gist of his comment was that alan moore having created the character sort of built the skeleton of john and jamie delano sort of taking over as the first writer kind of created the the flesh of john like built his, his body up but then when garth ennis came along he crafted sort of the soul of john and really like brought his whole self together and i was just kind of curious what you thought of that analogy yeah i think that's right i mean the jamie delano run is like a broken flawed john and then this run is kind of like john at the beginning at least is like a new man because he he's got his twin absorbed and all that stuff and uh and he beats cancer and so it's kind of like the it's, it's hard to say it exactly like that. Like, like, cause I think 40 issues from Jamie Delano was pretty strong. I don't think it was just a skeleton, you know, or like just the body being built. Um, like you said, Alan Moore making the skeleton makes sense because he doesn't really go into John at all. Other than John shows up, pisses off swamp thing and then leaves. We don't really know anything about him. He's just a mysterious guy. So like you said, that would be skeleton for sure. But he's almost like like the character of Puck, just like appearing. Oh, I'm gonna fuck around and then see you later, and then I'll be back to like fuck around again. <laughs> yes, so. yeah. And I think that Jamie Delano did more than. Well, actually, I don't know. Yeah, I guess giving him a soul makes sense for for Garth Ennis's. If Jamie Delano built his body, like he built the character as we know him, and then Garth Ennis, like elevated him so gave him a so i guess that makes sense like yeah that's a good analogy cool i did think it was really interesting especially since this uh this thread which wasn't very long i, I read through a few of the comments a lot of people seem to think that garth ennis did a really great job at uh exploring who john was and really 
uh, fleshing him out even further than Jamie Delano did. But at the same time, they love Jamie Delano as a writer better. Like they, he's definitely they got a different that, style. Yeah. Yeah. Garth Ennis like really put out the most popular, I guess you could say, uh, storylines, but Jamie Delano still like kind of created to some of them, like the, the heart of who John is. Yeah. That, so that makes I, sense. Yeah. And I thought it was a really interesting take and, and, um, I know we've been exploring these issues for a while now and going through his, his evolution as a character. Uh, but I also remember that I think you had mentioned, especially since there were sections of this run that were used in the movie. And maybe that's why uh, his run is more popular, because it, it was maybe the first way, you know, at least for me, the stories that you heard there could be referred back to um, his run more than than previous yeah. stories yeah although there were some references in that movie too like the first issue of hellblazer like where that fat guy's eating all the food because he's got like a hunger demon and then that w- that scene was almost directly from the comic in the movie so um so there's some stuff was referenced but it wasn't like it wasn't the main story arc of john getting cancer or whatever right so so um i will yeah. say as far as people saying that they like Jamie Delano's writing better as opposed to, to Garth's Garth is the one I recommend to people first. Like if, if people like, I want to read Hellblazer, I, I tell them like, Oh, you could read the first trade and that would be solid. But I have a lot of people come back on me saying it was good, but like, man, it was so like, blah, 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 blah. Like talky, I guess, you know, like, there's a lot of not talky like in a bad way, but like poetic. There's a lot of fanciful language we'll say, because Jamie Delano is that type of writer and Garth Ennis is not. So when, even though there's, there's the same like uh, word, you know, the, the, the narration over every panel, it's more to the point and straightforward in Garth Ennis's and it, and it, it gets there without the, the, uh, you know, all the trappings and everything. Right. So, um, I feel like a lot of people find Garth Ennis's run a lot more digestible than, especially if you're like a modern day reader than the Jamie Delano run. Cause I've had multiple modern day readers be like, I didn't like it. <laughs> I didn't like, oh, the, yeah. I didn't okay. like original sins. Cause it was too like talky and fanciful and, uh, too much poetry in it, you know? Yeah, I do agree. I think also that since uh, Garth Ennis seems to focus more on like the visceral moments and, uh, well, you know, to be honest, the gross stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it's definitely more appealing since this is meant to be a, a horrific uh, comic. <laughs> so it, it fits better, I think, than the more existential, flowery uh john in his head all the time thinking things to himself yeah which yeah i guess he doesn't have as much inner monologue as he does in the in in ennis's run than in delano's run huh no and it, when he does i mean it is on every page but it's like it's a lot more straight to the point in ennis's run a lot less meandering and uh like stream of consciousness thoughts you know yeah so I suppose if it comes down to who thinks whose writing style is, is better, like you said, it's depending on what sort of writing style appeals to you, uh, you would think is the best. Cause you know, Alan Moore's is just way out there. 
Right, but yeah, he doesn't even really write John hard. too much, you know. Yeah, but I mean, just in general, I'm so I'm so glad he didn't kind of do because could you imagine if he had written issues of Hellblazer? I wish he did. I wish there was an Alan Moore. Writer. <laughs> <laughs> I would be totally down to read what he would do with his own character after the fact. The like insanity. if he came back, I could not honestly imagine the insanity. <laughs> Dude, if he came back and did a you know like a just a trade you know, like a graph, an original graphic novel for, I mean, he's never going to, so fuck it, whatever, we'll just think about it. But, um, like if he did that, what, I mean, it would be amazing. I don't even know. Yeah. I can't even, my brain is broken just thinking about that. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, it would be cool. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. So, so, um, so that was just some thoughts I had. So uh, interesting comment I came across and, um, yeah. Oh, cool. So I'm glad we had that little, yeah. <laughs> a little thought about it because I hadn't really I hadn't really dived into the differences between the different runs that we've not gone through so I, I was kind of cool to have sort of a, a visual way to look at how Don has progressed okay. yeah and it's nice because both of these writers have or I guess all three but specifically because Alan Moore only wrote John into little scenes of Swamp Thing the Delano run and Garth Ennis's run there are big chunks right so we get to see John for a really long time and spend time with him with the same writer for a really long time. And so, uh, so it's nice to, yeah, to compare and contrast all that stuff. Um, yeah. So thanks. Thanks for bringing that up. That was a good, that was a good pull there. Um, Oh, cool. But yeah, so going forward, I think the next, uh, couple, the next episode will be about issues 59 through, I don't know. Let's see. There's a couple, there's more one parts in this, but I think, yeah, there's probably going to be 59 to uh, 66 is what I would think. That's a good one to stop at. <laughs> so that that's what we'll do for next time. Uh, so look forward to that in the next coming months. And uh, yeah, uh, unless you got anything else, I think we're good to go. That sounds good to me. Can't wait to get into it. All right. Well, then we'll see you guys on the next one. Bye.